Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Back on the floor of the biggest pop culture show in America, uh, the San Diego Comic-Con International. And uh, boy, oh boy, lucky me, I'm here with uh, Karen Berger, former executive editor of, 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 of Vertigo Books, but now here to launch her own imprint, Burger Books, at Dark Horse. Karen, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Always great to see you, Cal. Uh, thank you. So, me, like everybody else, I've uh, been waiting uh, to see what your next step uh, is going to be. Uh, obviously, it took me a few years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. Yeah, but but yeah. it's the, you know what? But it was worth the wait. Um, uh, it's, uh, so. You're, you couldn't have picked, obviously, a better place to do it. It seems more appropriate to be a Comic-Con as well as a Dark Horse. So, uh, yes, I, uh, we'd love to hear what your new line is going to be. Uh, we know some titles have been, have been announced, so please tell us all about it. Yeah, well, you know, I decided to get back into comics mm-hmm. after several years because I not only did I miss um, the world of comics and the community, but I, I was dabbling in a few different things outside of comics and... You know, the, the, the state of the country, the state of the election really sort of spurred me into yeah. um, really kind of creative action. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, you know, as many creative people I know, and just many people, regular people, you know, who are, who are you know, in, in a position to, to express themselves creatively, but you, you want to express yourself and, w- and what better way to... Um, to uh, you know, in times of, of, of stress, in times of crisis, in times of change, yeah. to get out there and to work with some really talented people to tell important stories. And so I gave my Richardson a call and I said, "Hey, you know, would you be interested in working with me?" I had been. I, I mean, uh, it's not. I had been. Yeah, you've been doing. I had been doing things, it. I had yeah. been doing a few things before, but I actually had a couple of things I was developing with mm. with the writers and artists. Anyway, I knew I'd come back to comics eventually. I knew everyone's busy, and you know it was all sort of let it all coalesce. So everything coalesced very quickly, um, and um, Mike has been terrific. Mike has been terrific. Um, letting me do you know what, what I'm best at, um, giving me the freedom to to again to do what I'm best at, and um, I'm really happy with the first four books that I'm editing at, at Burger Books. For me, what I really missed about um, one of the things I missed about comics was that even in my many years at Vertigo, I wasn't hands-on editing that much anymore. Mm. And um, at the beginning, obviously I was, I was there for like a thousand years, um, and I really wanted to get back to my roots of uh, working, working directly. Because working, yeah, yeah. my role was very much an editor-in-chief role uh-huh. for a long time. Where you do a lot of creative work and development work with the writers and the editors, but then, you know, then you say, okay, goodbye, you know, it's a good shake, you know, call me, yeah. you know, a few years or whatever. So, um, and again, I did some hands-on editing, but, so this was all about me, just, you know, no stuff, just me editing books that ultimately I wanted to read, which was always, has always been my credo sure. as an editor. And for me, um, the first four books are, are a great representation of sort of the diversity of what the line will be. Um, you know, I love books that are literary, um, that deal with, with race and, 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 um, and, and diversity and, 
and the issues and the obstacles that that come with that sure. and, and stories about people who face that so the issues of the day the issues of the day and incognito was a, is is a mini series was also a graphic you novel that before? i published, yes, I published yeah. it sure. ago it, yeah, it's i remember the book, well, sure. it was written by matt novelist matt mm-hmm. johnson drawn by warren police um they got the rights back we're doing a mini series which is a prequel cool. to oh. the story about the the, the um black reporter who can yeah. pass this white to go yeah. into coverage to investigate witches in the mm-hmm. south so we're doing a mini series that takes place at the home renaissance um when when there was sort of the first integration of mm-hmm. in the literary world of blacks and whites but it wasn't as obviously as sure. easy as uh, uh for um as, as it sounds and we're doing a, a, a new edition of incognito of the original yeah. graphic novel and we're planning a three book set and a sequel cool. so have a great oh, yeah. lit, lit, great literary book that really reflects sort of the social issues of today and um, you're like you're building it into a franchise as well it's i think source, i so, think you know. yeah, yeah yeah very much like yeah mm-hmm. and that's sort of the yep. plan we'll have a really great three book set and very much sort of like i was inspired by um the marsh books um, and well, clearly, clearly, a I think great we all inspiration. Are. I think we all <laughs> and, and are. No right. matter what you're doing, I right. mean, that's yeah, a, exactly. they, I mean, they're comics, but really, uh, what a incredible, incredible life. Yeah, incredible yeah. So, yes. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And um, and then um, the first book that's coming out on January 31st is Hungry Ghosts, which is a uh, horror, a ghost horror anthology written by Anthony Bourdain. And Joel Rose, okay. and um, with a host of, of wonderful different yeah. artists like Vanessa J. Ray and Paul Pope. And, mm-hmm. um, yes, that's what they get the lineup of artists. Yes, yeah. Yes. Certainly, yeah. anytime you know Paul Pope's name pops up, you right. pay attention yeah, he, for a, sure. He's a terrific artist, yeah. and uh, and he you know studied in Japan too. Yes, yeah. And um, so, and what's so cool about this book is that this it, is about four days before she was. And I work well. with with yes, Jane yeah. at Gachiro. So yes. a lot of it for me is. Mm reuniting with yes, people I've yes. worked with before, mm-hmm. um, but I'm also working with my next two books with people I've never worked with before. Yeah. So that's a cool thing too, because I love both. Yes. <laughs> I love both. I love my old friends well, and I love my new both, friends. Both yeah. screams back together. Exactly. Again. That's really cool. And what's so cool about Hungry Ghosts is that, you know, it's modeled after this old, um, during the Edo period, mm-hmm. Japanese Edo period, from the 1600s to the 1800s, uh-huh. samurais would sit around and tell each other stories. And tell each other ghost stories uh-huh. to sort of one up each other. This is yeah. what they used to do, honestly. And um, and the Japanese are always great storytellers sure. for all time. Um, and there was a, this game of a hundred candles where they tell stories over spooky stories over candle light and then blow it out and look in the mirror and see uh-huh. who is, the ghost has captured or not. This sto- <laughs> this series is the samurai who are now reimagines the international chefs. So they're sitting around, you know, being hired by this Russian, Russian oligarch to, to, to make this great feast for him at the end. He's saying, okay, now I want you to play a game with me. Uh, and we should see which one of you will survive. So each one of these chefs will tell stories. And so it's all, uh, all stories that deal with food, but it's all okay. about Japanese myths sort of reimagined. So it's really great, clever, clever material. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Scary, funny, very much inspired by EC comics, yeah. as well as as yeah. well as as as, as old Japanese comics, ghost, ghost, yeah. ghost stories. So, um, so that's very exciting for me. And the first comic I edited was House of Mystery Two Ninety Two. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, how great that the yeah. first comic that I edit in Burger Books is a horror anthology. Oh, so, the two, it's a nice kind of yeah. symmetry, full circle. <laughs> yeah, and. Um, Two other books that I'm editing as well, um, uh, The Seeds by Anna Sente and David Aha, 
Um, Anne is, you know, a legendary mm -hmm. writer in comics, one of the few women writers, frankly, still yeah. to have written yeah. superhero sure, comics. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, she followed Franklin Daredevil. She, um, uh, you know, had a great uh, career. Sorry, podcast. I'm forgetting it's a podcast. All right, you got a lot on your mind. I got a lot of Sorry. She, you know, co-created Longshot and Typhoid Mary. But I've always admired Anne as a person and as a writer because her work always had a political aspect to it, a real human aspect, a real emotional aspect to it. And she also loved comics, sort of at the height of her career. She was editing. Um, Chris Claremont on X-Men during sort of you know, uh -huh. a highlight of his role uh -huh. and, and editing New Mutants and she basically was like hey you know I want to do other things. She became a journalist, she became a filmmaker, documentarian, yeah. actually, I didn't know screenwriter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean Anne actually went went off and one of the big things that she did was that she, um, yeah you should interview her, she's great. Um, she uh, she went to third world countries to teach film to um, to people in indigenous cultures wow. and she actually won uh, a, a humanitarian award for the work that she did in Haiti. Very that. interesting, yeah. And I really loved her own personal life experiences mm -hmm. and then she came back into comics at New um, 52 I think several years ago and then she and David Aha who's one of the most popular artists and a very sort of a, a, a sort of an elite kind of artist mm -hmm. in many ways. David doesn't do that much comics. Mm -hmm. He did Hawkeye with <laughs> Matt Fraction of Marvel, which is hugely, yeah. hugely popular six, yes. seven years ago. Um, and he did, I think, Immortal Iron Fist before that. Um, some other things. I'm not a big comic book memory person. That's okay. Um, he's basically I, I, done I, a I, lot of covers. A lot of comic books. He, <laughs> a lot of comic books. <laughs> and he's also yeah. done a lot of covers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he's a great designer as well as um, artist. And not only does he do his own logo design, yeah. but if you look at his work, I mean, he did these Scarlet Witch covers for Marvel mm. a couple of years ago, which is some yeah. of the most beautiful things uh, I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. It's black, white, and red. The way, just mm -hmm. absolutely. I know his really, really is really yeah. good. Yeah. So, so I was, and he's a great storyteller mm -hmm. and. So I was really excited. They just said, hey, we'd love to work with you. And David was a fan growing up of both Anne and my work. Yeah. And there you so, go. Well, yeah. <laughs> so he called up Anne and said, hey, let's work together. And then they came to me, hey, we've got this project. And what I love about the seas is that it really reflects, you know, sort of what's going on in the world today. It's 10 minutes into the future. Um, but, you know, it's about these aliens have come to a dying earth to collect the seeds uh, and oh. to bring back what remains. Well, we, we seem and to be in the midst of an alien <laughs> invasion in some ways now, an alien political invasion anyway. Well, very much so, <laughs> and the alienation that people live, yeah. live. And I think, and that's what, another thing about the seeds that attract me so thematically is that, you know, that, you know, deals with the alienation of, the, of this young woman who, you know, has a relationship with one of these aliens, and this alien um, mm -hmm. changes gender. From, from, yeah. from minute to minute sometimes. So there's a whole question of, of gender diversity issues yeah. that, that, are, that are introduced. And also, there's a whole journalistic aspect. There's a reporter at the heart of the story who is very idealistic and young and um, still wants to do the right thing, still mm -hmm. wants to be ethical. And her, her boss is like, hey, no one's telling real stories. It's yeah, all yeah. fake news. And he goes, He's, you know, go get yeah. me a story. And she happens upon this you know, inter, uh -huh. inter species, yeah. whatever, um, uh, 
So it does sound like it's plugged into all of the hot buttons. It's really issues plugged into the hot buttons. Yeah. yeah, and and done in a really unique way. And mm. Anne is waving waving together beautifully. Sounds and great. Very very excited. And then the other the other um, uh, fourth series that we're launching with is Matahari, and huh? told from a feminist perspective. Um, Matahari, who was very flamboyant and sexual and. Mm. You know, I, I, I and really know provocative. The, the basic uh, information that, about her. I, so I think that's what we all yeah. know, and and it's a very heavily researched book. I mean, she was a spy, mm. um, but she was. It's sort of on the fence whether she was set up as a spy. Yeah. You know, she, apparently, her MI MI five files have recently become you know able uh. to be viewed by the public, and Emma Beebe, the writer, done a ton of research mm. on her. And so much of this is, is drawn from that. It's a fictional story, but it's based on a lot of fact. But what's another thing that's so great about the story is told on the eve of her execution. She was executed in front of a firing squad for doing something she was never proved to have done. And so the story is told while she recaps her life, sort of in a fictionalized memoir. And you see, you know, the abuse she, she, she um, had to go through, she suffered when she was a younger woman. We see other scandals that she was through with, with lovers, but we also see that she made up stories about herself too, that I'm a Javanese princess. Okay. She <laughs> never was. So she's very much an unreliable narrator, yeah. but we also see the court trial aspects of it. And we see that she really was treated like shit and not believed because sure. she was a woman. Yeah. So I love this fact that this really deals with the fact that women are many times not believed. Um, and uh, or or you know or supposed to be in on it. Um, sure. Yeah. And so I like that this sort of takes 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 a, 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 a more of a you know shall we say feminist perspective on yeah. that. And um, and the art is done by incredible artist Ariella Cristantina, uh, Indonesia, brilliant brilliant star on the rise. As is Emma Bibi, another star on the rise, mm -hmm. Scottish writer. Used to write horoscopes. She wrote oh, really? speeches for the uh, House of Parliament. She was the first woman to write of Judge Dredd. How can I not okay. love her? All right. You know. Um, and you know both new talent. And I love. There's another thing about yeah. it gets me excited as an editor is working with emerging writers and artists. Yeah. And you know. So and then last but not least, in this first wave, um, I'm doing a new incredible edition of the originals, which oh, is yes, the Eisner Award-winning yes. graphic sure, novel that did that sure. Gibbons um, did for me at Vertigo. And this is a very personal story to Dave. I mean, it's 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 very you know semi-autobiographical about being a mod and mm -hmm. growing up and, you know, the trials and tribulations of what it's like, uh, you know, at that at that age when you're trying to be the tough guy but still look really cool yeah, yes. and wear the sharpest <laughs> clothes and falling in love and fighting the bad guys yeah. and, and friendship and loss. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful story. And what's so cool about this edition, it's much larger than the original mm -hmm. size. We're calling it the Essential Edition, and we've added a 32-page signature, um, which has um, story web components. You see behind the, you know, the mind of Dave. Director's Dippin. cut here. The director's yeah. in many ways. Yeah, character sketches. It. I mean, Dave saves everything. Yeah. He's, you know, a dream right. in that perspective, and it's a lot of beautiful behind-the-scenes stuff. And and another one of the reasons why I wanted to work at Dark Horse is because they produce beautiful books. They have such high production and design. Um, values and and ultimately it's all about the book at the end of the day and if I'm doing a mini everything that I'm doing as a mini series will be collected in a book form it's just a way to achieve it in a way 
it's more economically feasible um, for us to, to, to go to the miniseries first, then to collect into book form. Um, but it's all about the book then today. That's how we how we reach new readers. And that's yes, that's and the that's what it's all about. And that's and that's what I've wanted to do my entire career. Yes. And I think I did that um, at Vertigo. And, and I did, will did, 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 as it. I say, you yeah. paved the way in many ways for the. I think the the, the kind of the comics market we see today in the book trade. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank well, you. I don't yeah, think there's any I doubt guess, about that. Yeah. Well, thanks, Calvin. <laughs> and yeah. you're, so you're doing it again, really, and you're it. back at just the right time. You know, I, I think so too. I sort yeah. of, you know, again, it was not planned, it just kind of yeah, like happened. Well, and, you know, I kind of, that's sort of how I live my life yeah, well, <laughs> organically. works too. <laughs> yes, uh, I yes, mean, we're yeah. in a really, uh, I think, incredible mm -hmm. moment now for comics. The book trade is, has never been more popular. I agree. It's never been more kinds of material. Uh, you're bringing in uh, some of your old stuff, bringing in some new stuff, old artists, new artists. It's great. And, you're situated in Dark Horse is, I think, recent switch to distribution over the last Over to years. Random House is, is perfect, so perfect, perfect. Everything yeah. was, the best in the business. was forming, really? waiting for you. I, you know, that's what I thought, Cal, <laughs> you know, but, you know, know exactly. And also, so, I mean, sensibility-wise, uh, I really like yeah. what Dark Horse publishes, yeah. you know? Yeah. Greater deals, the greater-friendly atmosphere. Yes, um, yes. Mike yes. Richardson is extremely decent ethical human being yes that really appeals to me coming from a corporate culture yeah. <laughs> and um and he's had an independent company yeah. for 30 years in comics and that's a lot to be proud of and i'm very proud to be a part of it so. yeah well it's it's really great now you're going to be at, you're going to still be in new york you're editing from yeah, new i'm york. still editing yeah. from yeah. home yes uh, uh, and and i kind of like that too yeah <laughs> I, I, especially I the penn station being at the construction oh, it's craziness so, yeah, yes, that's for yeah. sure so it's good and again it's yeah. you know i'm not looking to do a huge line mm -hmm. but i'm doing you know probably eight books a year i'm doing four to start all uh -huh. these books okay. coming out early 2018 great. i'm doing another the book versions graphic novel versions of the miniseries will be out in the fall cool of 2018 and in the fall of 2018 i'll be launching some new miniseries so we're going to have a lot of burger books in comic form and it. graphic novel form sort of floating around i'm loving it and um yeah and then we'll see and we plan to continue right. so it's a great thing I'm very well, very excited uh, i'm I very think that says it all yeah <laughs> well uh it's exciting um you mean it really is kind of great to see you back working with artists and, and it's like I said this is really just a, a, a great time right now yeah, it's, it's just really, really exciting everywhere you look so um, uh, I'm gonna thank you now and okay. I think you wrap that up very nicely uh, uh, just what our listeners are, are gonna want thank you Karen so much for being on more to come I'd love to be here and love to come back and well you, you will be you know okay. once your books get out there we'll talk some more Sounds all right great. great thank, thank you, Calvin. you bet Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor at Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. We are back on the floor of the San Diego Comic-Con International. Uh, and now we're at the booth for a second, and I have the great pleasure to be about to interview Tilly Walden, author of a new graphic memoir, Spinning. Uh, Tilly, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Thank you for having me. Um, this is a, a graphic memoir. Um, it's, it's wonderfully, sensitively done. Um, it's also, uh, you, you get some insight into uh, the world of an athlete. 
uh, yes. a figure skater. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you weren't just a, a Sunday in the park ice skater either. <laughs> oh, no, it was... Uh, figure skater, yeah, I no, it, no, ice skater, figure skater, it all works for me. Yeah. Uh, I was very serious. I was at the rink uh, almost every day. Uh, I did what most competitive, young competitive figure skaters do, which is uh, you practice before school. And then you practice after school. Um, and it was, I was going to competitions every weekend, and I also did synchronized skating, which yeah. is a sport not a lot of people know about that involves like a team of 10 to 20 girls on the ice uh, doing formations yeah. to music. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, uh, figure skating, uh, I'm a sports fan. Oh, are I you? mean, yes. I mean, I, I, I can't claim to be a figure skating fan, but I never, I, I never want to disrespect athletes of any sport. It's, it's a, a phenomenal achievement. Uh, particularly when you're at an elite level. Um, uh, but I was really drawn to the book. Uh, you, know, you know, like a lot of you know, a lot of guys, maybe every four years, you know, in the Olympics, you know, I pay attention. Yes. But, I mean, uh, since I love sports uh, as well as comics, uh, you know, you, I, I, I love it when they all come together in a single package. Yeah. So, um, I mean, usually what I ask the artists I interview is to tell us a little bit about their background, but your book is your background. Absolutely. But, um, and you kind of gave us a little introduction there. Uh, well, the book is also a kind of about you, you know, embracing your own sexuality. Yes. That's important, obviously. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's very much a book about being gay as much as it is a book about being an ice skater. And, you know, when people, you're talking about sports narratives, when people think of ice skating, ice skating is the sport that likes to pretend it's not a sport. You know, skaters, <laughs> no, skaters go yes. on the ice, you know, it's like when you see a tennis player, uh, you can see the physicality of it mm -hmm. so clearly. You can hear it. They sure. grunt, they move, they sweat. Uh, figure skaters are expected to hide that physicality. You're, you keep a smile, mm -hmm. you uh, move gracefully, and you don't show the effort that is underneath all of that. And so I really wanted in this book to just sort of show some of the reality behind actually being an ice skater, which a lot of people don't know about. And, and, and you do it quite well. And at the same time, though, this is, it's a, this is a really a sort of a methodical notation about your own emotions uh and the emotional relationships with the people around you yeah uh i won't say good or bad because you know relations go through an arc uh but um it's interesting that you're able to bring that all together yeah i really tried you know initially i just wanted to make a book about ice skating and obviously if you're a figure skater for 12 years uh a book about ice skating for that long becomes a book about your life mm -hmm. um so it really wasn't intended to necessarily be a memoir, but when it comes to the relationships and, and how I balance that and pull it together, I really used the skating as a, a basis for uh, where I was emotionally in the book. So I'm sure you notice each chapter begins with a description of an ice skating move and what it feels yeah. like to be within that move. And I really made a conscious effort to try and pick a move that really represented how I was feeling at that time. And ice skating can be a very uh, uh, emotional sport. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very much about how you use your body. Um, it's so easy uh, to be off, you know, when you're on yeah. blades and you're moving fast. Yeah. So you really have to be there. Um, and it's also not a lot of people think about how ice skating feels when you're on the ice. They're very preoccupied with looking at it. It's very much a spectator sport. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I really wanted to use how I felt on the ice and how I felt in my own life outside of the rink to kind of bring it all together. Um, I mean, it's 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 interesting. I mean, there's also a, you know an interesting sense of location and place because you start off, I think, in New Jersey. Yes. Uh, you move uh, you move to Texas, and there there's quite a few. Obviously, you describe that the emotional relationship you had with that move, 
and and of course the people that you skate with. Yeah, culturally, uh, ice skating is very different in New Jersey than it is from Texas, <laughs> which most people yeah. would you know could guess at. But uh, it's it's. Uh, it's such a monumental difference that not a lot of people get. Uh, even just the way you learn moves and what those moves are called is different. Yeah. Um, and the ice rings feel different. In New Jersey, it felt very Olympic. It felt very uh, serious and cultural. And in yeah. Texas, it felt like I was doing something that never should have really been there. Uh, in a way. No, it, it just felt is like... Is that just it's, Texas? Maybe it's just Texas. Maybe it's because it's just so goddamn hot that yeah, yeah, everyone, yeah. Well, you know, it's, a, yeah. oh, doing a winter sport there sure. feels uh, surprising. Yeah. Um, but it was just... It was was such a different dynamic it was uh but in a way it helped when I was making this memoir that move really clarified how I felt about ice skating because change often makes you focus in on what's really going on in your life and that move really uh woke me up uh, it, you, yeah you have a uh, and there's an afterword at the end of the book that you talk about how you did this uh and I thought it was interesting because you you if I'm not mistaken you're, you weren't worried about being accurate. Yes. Yeah, yeah not so, at all. Yeah. So could you talk about that? Yeah, about what, of course. Of course. Um, well, you know, when people make memoirs, especially people who are older, it conjures up this image of, you know, a person sort of going back through their life, looking at photos and journals and really trying to uh, reconnect the dots of what happened in their life and, and using references. And to me, I, you know, I really uh, specifically avoided using references of any kind, even photos or, uh, or my diary, which I have a vast diary. I didn't use it um, because I really wanted to tap into what my memories were about. Um, and I felt like if I use, say, a photo reference of what the rink looked like, then I would lose track of how that rink felt in my memory. Uh, because I think that's a really significant way to draw something, because when you draw an ice rink from a more emotional place rather than uh, physically what it looks like in the world, it takes on a new life. Mm -hmm. And ice rinks are often very uh, foreboding, uh, large, interesting, and kind of scary places. And I felt like with that, when I wasn't using reference, I was able to tap into that much more in a much more real way. Very interesting, because, I mean, it's a 400-page book. It's long. It's a, there, it's, there are really detailed recollections. Yes. Uh, and even as you're, you're talking about the rinks and how they feel and how they look, I mean, you contrast the one in Jersey, I guess, with the more mall-oriented yes. one in oh, Texas. Yes, oh, God, the figure skating in the mall. So it's, it's really kind of extraordinary that you can remember it all. Well, I'm lucky in that most... I stopped skating maybe three years ago. Oh, so um, it's very recent. It's, it's wow. extraordinarily recent. I'm only just turned 21. Oh. So uh, it's it's all extremely fresh. And I uh, when I started the book, it was uh, s sort of like opening the floodgates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hadn't really thought much about my ice skating memories uh, after I stopped skating, which in a way I think helped preserve them, because I wasn't going over them in my head, and that often distorts memories the more you go over them. Uh, but when I started this book, I hadn't thought about any of this in years, and then I sat down and it was like, oh my god, and it all came back to me, and I'm, I'm a very quick artist, so I was really able to tap into the quickness of how the memories are coming back and immediately putting that on the page. It's clear by the end of the book, I mean, you're... you're you're dedicated to your sport. Uh, I mean, every sport I, uh, has this, these times when you, I'm sure you think, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. But you're, you're very dedicated to it. But at the end, there does seem to be a conflict between the, uh, the, the, the devotion to the athletic process and the culture of the sport, yeah. the, um, uh, the embellishment, the decorative elements, um, you know, and, 
what you wear, yeah. what you don't wear. Yeah, the uh, the culture of being a female ice skater yes. is, is very specific uh, and kind of fascinating to me, but also very difficult to live with. Yeah. Uh, and especially as a young lesbian, trying to tap into this feminine culture. It's not to say that some lesbians aren't feminine, but yeah, sure. I wasn't. Yeah. Um, and... I really struggled with this culture that both pretended to celebrate individuality and also didn't allow it. Um, and, you know, it, it was. It was this conflict because I, I love how it feels to ice skate. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful sensation. You you know, you push off and you go. That's it. You're on blades yeah, on ice. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, and when you get hot and sweaty, the ice gets cold and it takes care of you. Uh, but at the same time, everything that comes with skating, uh, outside of just that simple movement is uh, was so difficult for me to deal with and I honestly think very unhealthy uh, for most ice skaters. I saw so many skaters along the way just lose track of themselves because they were so caught up in this world and, and when you do a competitive sport you know like you were saying the dedication it becomes your entire life so to do something and exist in that life you have to be okay with the boundaries and the expectations and I wasn't ultimately yeah. and in a way it was very liberating to realize that you can be good at something and do it for a long time and it's still okay to stop doing it. Yeah. Well, you, you I mean, that's a anymore. powerful moment in the book, obviously, yeah, uh, where you reach that, you know, uh, you know, I, I was more a wannabe athlete myself, you know, I, you know, I, I think I got cut from every sport in high oh, school, no. but I did, but I was never discouraged by it. I just yeah. go for something else. But, um, but, it, it, but I, you know, for whatever it's worth, I always identify, you know, because I love sports. Yeah. Um, so it's very powerful in, in the book where you're able to reach that point when you put in that kind of effort. Yeah. To say, you know, I'm okay with walking away from it. Well, and I was walking away from a whole life, you yeah. know? It wasn't even that yeah. I was walking away from a sport. I was walking away from yeah. something I had done every day. Yeah. Uh, and and it was where my close friend Lindsay was. It was where my coaches yes, were. My, yeah. my coaches, yeah. you know, coaches are very sure. much surrogate parent figures. Without a doubt. Uh, which people often forget when they think yeah. about the coach, uh, you know, and yeah. that sort of tutelage uh, relationship. So it's, it's a very huge thing to walk away from. It felt like walking away from a parent. Uh, from walking away from who I was, but then once I left it, I realized that ice skating did not hold who I was at all. I yeah. So uh, the book uh, uh, illustrates this to some extent, but where did art uh, and cartooning yes. in particular start to become more and more, uh, you know, a rival? Yeah, uh, it came uh, up. Yeah, it came up very quietly. You know, I never, I never really had a big bang moment with art. It, it was always sort of on the periphery of my life, and it wasn't until I stopped skating that I realized how significant it was to me. You know, through high school, I was taking art classes and, and doing that, and it was another thing that I was good at. But it's very difficult to do a lot outside of skating uh, because yes, yes. it's so, because it's so demanding. Um, and it was always something that I cherished, but never really saw my potential in. Uh, and then when I stopped skating and noticed that I suddenly had free time, um, and I thought, you know, I asked myself this question of what do I want to do with myself? The answer was so immediate and pure that it was it was art, of course. You know, this whole time it was right there waiting for me. Yeah. Um, and in a way, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for my experience as an ice, ice skater because the work ethic that I use in my own art uh, and that I use every day to be a creative person and do this as a career is entirely from skating. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. all, you know, and competitive sports. So you rechannel so that kind oh, of... Oh, of course, yeah, that, so. that work ethic, that uh, that spirit, uh, learning to keep going and just, you know, persevere. Sure. Uh, I learned that all from skating. Yeah. Um, just let's jump away from spinning just for a second sure. because you, you, I mean, how many books have you published? You've had, are, we counting, are we counting spinning? 
Well, no, let's okay. not count spin. Yeah. But, you know, but only yeah. because isn't it a fall book, so it hasn't published it is, yet. It's technically, <laughs> it's technically not out yet. So there, there is a copy over there. Um, I published three books uh-huh. before this one, all small books uh-huh. uh, with the London-based publisher Avery Hill Publishing. Yes, that's where um, I first saw some of your. I, yes. I saw a TCAM. I saw. Oh, some of, your of course, books. yeah. yeah. They, uh, they found me. Uh-huh. Uh, when I was uh, in high school, and oh. sent, sent me an email, and oh, I wow. uh, I politely declined because I had just quit skating. I was starting to draw comics, and then suddenly this publisher emails me, wow. and I I I am so thankful that I had the foresight to say no. Yeah, you know, because I was not ready. Yes. And then uh, a year later, I was, and uh, we got in touch again, and I did three books with them. Uh, one of which is Eisner nominated. Two of which have won Ignatz's. Wonderful. Um, and they gave me uh, a great base before doing spinning. No, that's that's really great. I, I want to jump back to spinning again because I, I did want to ask you a question about your drawing because it's you know it's 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 a style of drawing that it, 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 you would not immediately assume would work with sports. Yes. Even though it's you know it's very still. A, yes, it's very still and and it, and it has a very brittle line to it, and uh, but you 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 make it really work. Uh, I, I I love the scenes uh, in particular say even. I love the scenes that where you do these schematics of the of the jumps ah, and the, the spins, yes, but also scenes that you know because it's a very you know it's a very subdued book in some ways because Absolutely. it's kind of about your inner life. Absolutely. But it's uh, um, there are moments after, for instance, when you uh, when there's a big win, your ability to animate the team I think is really affecting. So it's, oh, I just you. wanted to bring that out that you, you're able to navigate your your style. I think take it places where you might someone might assume it couldn't go. Yeah, thank you. That's uh, it's interesting because people assume you know a book about ice skating would be all about movement, uh, but they forget that as an ice skater, you know, say you go to a competition, you spend six hours being still, and then you spend no, then you spend three minutes on the ice, yeah, yeah, and then you're still again, and it's a very uh, bizarre sensation to go from these moments of extreme activity to extreme inactivity. You wait so much in ice rinks. Yeah. It's, it's the cornerstone of ice skating, really. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I really tried to push myself with my art to try and find a way to make the art uh, work alongside the story. Well, um, uh, it, it's a, the, it was a pleasure reading the book and an equal pleasure to get a chance to talk with you. Uh, good luck on the book and thank you for being on More to Come. Thank you for having me. Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor at Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. All right, back on the floor of the San Diego Comic-Con International. Uh, and we're in the cozy booth of First Second. Uh, and we're here to talk with Landis Blair, uh, one half of the creative team uh, that's um, work well, really about to publish uh, a, a fascinating nonfiction book, mm-hmm. uh, The Hunting Accident, a true story of crime and poetry. And we're going to get him to talk about that title. <laughs> uh, Landis, thank you so much uh, for being on More to Come. Oh, thank you very much for asking me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so, um, uh, it, you're you're the you're the artist yeah, uh, for this, and uh, the writer is David David Carl. Uh, did I say his name, David Carlson? Yes, that's him. Um, so, I mean, I'm going to let you give us the the background, the story, and then I'll probe you a little further <laughs> to see how this became a book. Okay. But uh, what is the hunting accident? Okay. The, the, the hunting accident. It's uh, as you mentioned. It's it's, uh, it's based on this true story, and it's about a. A man who was uh, blinded in a robbery attempt, and after this, uh, this uh, after he was blinded, he was sent to Stateville Prison in Joliet, Illinois, 
and uh, they didn't know what to do with him because he was a blind prisoner and they never had a blind prisoner. And they ended this up, is in the 1920s, right? Uh, uh, 1930s. 1930s, excuse yeah. me. Right, um, yeah. And since they didn't know what to do with him, they put him in the cell with another prisoner that was on kind of high watch, uh, Nathan Leopold, who was the half of the Leopold Loeb. Yes, uh, a fairly <laughs> notorious, if you don't know anything about yeah. true crime, you've, you've heard of yes. Leopold and Loeb. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so he's cellmate, this newly blind prisoner who's depressed and suicidal because he doesn't know he's going to, he thinks his life is over, ends up being cellmates with this, this killer. And the remarkable thing is that uh, Nathan Leopold ends up uh, completely transforming this blind prisoner's life and gives him a reason to live. And, and Leopold himself learns how to read Braille so that he can teach this, uh, this blind man how to read. And, that, and when he learned how to read, uh, he started having him read all the classics and Milton and Dante this completely changed uh, yeah. this guy's life and when he got out of prison the rest of his life he spent uh, every opportunity he could uh, working on his own writing and researching and, uh, and reading but but the hunting accident itself is uh, that once the blind man is out of prison he's he eventually becomes a father and uh, his son he doesn't want to know that he didn't want to let him know that he was yeah. in prison and so uh, he tells him that he was blind had, he was blinded in a hunting accident and later when the son is a teenager that comes back to bite uh yeah <laughs> bite the relationship there and uh and so the story is the story is basically the father telling his son what actually happened and that he went to prison because he's trying to prevent his son from going down yeah. the same path i mean it's, it's very amazing i mean was uh, so he's with nathan leopold correct yeah now was uh, who i don't know much about i just know the the, the notoriety of, of yes of yeah his life uh, uh, the thrill killers, uh, right, him, right. him uh, Leo. but uh, was he uh, a a literary person? He was. Um, he was. Uh, I think you could actually say a documented genius in the sense of his oh. IQ score. I mean, mm -hmm. he, both Leopold and Loeb were both brilliant. They they both mm -hmm. went to University of Chicago yeah. uh, and graduated when they were. Um, or, I'm, I'm sorry. They may. Have met, I think he was maybe a student when this happened. But they, mm -hmm. they, they were very young when yeah. they went to University of Chicago and they excelled. Sort of prodigies and, of a sort. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and Leopold uh, supposedly knew how to speak 27 languages. I mean, he, he learned a lot of them in prison. Yeah, I mean, yeah right. He, yeah. He, he Time already, on your hands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he already knew a bunch, but yeah, he, yeah. Kept, he kept acquiring them. And so he, uh, yes, yes. So he, he was definitely. Uh, literate and highly um, educated in the classics, and uh, it, so you know him being stuck in prison and and the deprivation that he was having to deal with. It, I mean, so that I, I think this is part of the beauty of this story too is that he, you know, even though he was this very privileged young mm -hmm. young man that had such a promising future and he thought he could get away with this crime, and then that, that was all taken away from him. And so I think what's beautiful about that is he was able to connect with this blind prisoner over literature, which is something he could, Leopold yeah. could still partake of while in prison. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the story, and, and as I told you earlier, I, I'm only about halfway through it, but mm -hmm. it's, it's completely fascinating. Mm. Um, uh, first, because, I mean, as uh, and the prisoner, is, his name is Max, uh, uh, Matt, Matt Rizzo. Rizzo. Matt yeah. Rizzo. Uh, and you know, we introduced, we're introduced to him in, that, what, 1959 when he's, he's, he's yes. out. And he's meeting his son, and, right. and but but it's really made as, as we learn about him. I mean, he he's writing literary essays. He's right. completely immersed in the classics. Um, he loves the life of the mind and of art, and he's yeah. obviously trying to introduce his son to these elements, right? Too to right. these elements of culture too, uh, and then we see his son sort of you know basically kind of 
you know, falling in with a bad crowd. Right. <laughs> That's exactly it. Uh, and at that point, he sort of sees his son, I guess, heading down the same path that he did. Yes. Years yeah. earlier, because, I mean, he ended up really losing his sight in, in, during a robbery. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of one of the themes throughout the book is the, the sins of the fathers. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and as you just said, he recognizes his son going down the same path, and he uh, he wants the best for his son. And he but but the whole time he realizes that he's been lying to his son. Yeah. Despite constantly talking about truth. And so yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> now, now I, I mean. Who discovered this story? And now, tell, tell I assume this is uh, your partner who comes in yes, here at yes. this point. So this is yeah, David Carlson, the, the writer. He, uh, well, I, I guess I should back up in that sure, the, sure. The, the son of this blind man. So Matt Rizzo's son, Charlie Rizzo, is still alive. Oh, okay. And uh, and Charlie Rizzo was a, a, is a friend of Dave Carlson's. They, oh. They're on a, a board of directors on a nonprofit, and that's how they met. Mm-hmm. And so they were out having, uh, my understanding, having breakfast one day, mm-hmm. and and Charlie said, "Oh, did I ever tell you about my father?" And and David said, "No." And, and so then he just started telling him this story. Hey, well, I got a story for <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, it's really kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's and so so then over the next uh, I think six months to a year, Dave, you just kept asking Charlie more and more questions, <laughs> yeah. and Dave started doing research and said, "I, I want to tell this story," and uh, and things kind of just took you know slowly grew out of that. So I, I came into the process, uh, I mean, fairly late in that sense because mm-hmm. I think I think uh, it was probably three years after Dave had I could be wrong on that, but about three yeah. years after Dave mm-hmm. had that original conversation. That I ended up getting involved in, it, but, so but was he writing a script in, uh, during that time? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So he, when they took me on, he, Dave had written a, a movie script um, in, uh-huh. in, because they were they're were wanting to try telling this story in different mediums, and graphic novel was one of the ones that they decided to want to try. But he had this movie script he had written, and so when they they hired me, they they had kind of this this uh, movie script that they had me read and, and basically do a thumbnails of what I thought. I mean, it, it, things completely changed after that, but that was sure. the first process when I came, came onto the project. So. Um, when did the, I mean, when did it, when did it actually become a book project? Was it, when did it, had, it was, was, uh, was Judy Hansen always his agent or <laughs> no, did she no, no, come no. in uh, at a certain point in the process? No, she came in actually, actually pretty late in the, mm-hmm. the sense of that the, the, uh, we had done a, a Kickstarter version of, oh, of really? the book, and oh. and so that was finished. Uh, I guess that was 2015, the su- summer of 2015, that that came out. And at that point, um, that's when it was basically a proof of concept. Right. And that's when Judy got involved. That uh, someone put her in touch with Dave, uh-huh. and then Dave sent her a copy of this uh, Kickstarter edition, and and then. Judy wanted to work with us, and so was that a complete edition? Had you? Huh? Um, it's I'm gonna, I want because I want to no, get to your know. art. I want to get to your art, but 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 go I mean, because yeah. the other part of it is uh, I've never seen such uh, intensive cross-hastering <laughs> since uh, R. Crumb, perhaps, and you might, and I think even he would be sort of like, what the WTF? <laughs> so, um, but but yeah. So, t- uh, when did you get involved in? Was that a complete version of the book at that time? It was, I would say, it was probably like 85% complete Uh because when Judy came on, she read it and she loved it, but she basically said, before I work with this, there's this part of the story that needs to be fleshed out. And so after that, there was there's about 25 uh, or 26 new pages uh-huh. that weren't at all in it that that are in the final book sure. that weren't in the Kickstarter, as well as a number of our other edits and things. And so, but, but the, 
what Judy had suggested completely enhances the story. It basically cool. adds more background when Charlie's a boy, uh-huh. and it makes the connection between his father more, uh, more poignant and also... Cool. It, it, it emphasizes how painful this lie is that you have yes. revealed later. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, well, it's well, once again, I, I repeat it as a remarkable story. Uh, but tell us about your background uh, and, yep. and how did you get involved with this? Um, my, my background is, I mean, I, I went to art school, but I didn't study illustration or comics. Mm-hmm. And I just was kind of fine art, uh, uh-huh. figurative painting and drawing. Um, and, the, and I had worked in art galleries and I... It, but it was many years after being out of school that I kind of started honing in on pen and ink work and doing some freelance illustration. But what really got me was uh, was Edward Gorey. I mean, he, he's my he's mm. my hero. And, and oh, so, sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and so at some point, um, you know, a number of years after college, I I, I, I really loved Edward Gorey's work so much, and and I was kind of bemoaning the fact to a friend uh, that you know I did just all this work is incredible, and I, how did he do this? And the friend basically kind of just called my bluff and said, "Well, well, just do it, just try it." <laughs> and so, at the end of the day, yeah. <laughs> so I, I spent the next couple of years, and I I wrote. And illustrated probably about four or five independent kind of Edward Gorey-esque style stories, yeah. and and I loved it. And so I was doing that, and I started taking those to comic conventions in Artist Alley to sell them. Sure. And mm-hmm. actually, at the first big one that I had done, uh, that's where Dave found me. And I don't I don't think we actually talked at the convention, but he picked up my card, and then a couple weeks later he sent me an email, and then you know, I went in for an interview, and then even after that, it was several more months because they were interviewing different people and sure. test pages, mm-hmm. but. Uh, but that's how I got connected yeah. with Dave. So, well, like you're, you're I mean, you have a, 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 you know, a simple style, but it's incredibly complex in the, your the ability. I mean, you, there's nothing left out. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it really draws you in. And yeah. there's, I mean, there's there's certainly this real sense of you know the artist's hand in mm. your drawings, in your your line. Um, I mean, it's, I, I don't want to. I mean, it's there, it's raw and polished. If you can say, you know, I mean, you, no, that's a good way of describing it, actually, because I don't, I don't uh, consider myself much of a draftsman, and so for me, the the cross hatching is uh, is is covering up the mistakes, and, it, and that's the part I enjoy because it's, it's I, I kind of have an outline. Yeah, sure. Friends tease me that my my pencils uh, look like coloring books because I, I kind of just draw an outline and then I just fill it fill in. Fill it in, yeah. so. Well, and they say really the secret of art is, is, is keeping people from noticing all the mistakes. <laughs> so, you know, you come up with a brilliant way to do it. Um, uh, and, and and it just adds another layer and solidity to oh, thank you. the drawing. And certainly, uh, you know, a prison, you know, a book that takes place very often either in prison or in these working class homes. Yeah, there is this sense of the walls closing in around you. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it certainly serves the story well. Um, uh, so I actually don't know how it ends. Okay, <laughs> but uh, I, I am sort of curious. I mean, since uh, I mean. What what becomes of these characters? Um, uh, yeah, they, I'm not giving anything no, away. No, 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 you're not giving anything away. It's, it, it, uh, I mean, part part of what's great about this is that you know, there's the different paths because the the core of the story is about Matt Rizzo and Nathan Leopold and their yes. interaction in in the prison cell, and so it's it's there's you know, extremely different you know, different paths that they end up having because uh, you, on one hand you have Leopold who. Uh, I mean, he was sentenced to life in prison. Mm-hmm. He, he did eventually get paroled, but mm-hmm. it was uh, you know he was a, an old man at that point, and he he got out and he moved to Puerto Rico. And I mean, he 
uh, his life kind of, he did everything possible to kind of disappear sure. because of the notoriety of everything. And, and so he kind of just sort of faded out. And, and Matt Rizzo, he, uh, you know, he got out of prison. I can't remember how many years he actually was in prison. But I, I want to say it was around five yeah. or yeah. But he, he got out, and yeah. and his his life was completely different, and he was determined to uh, to, to completely change his life around. And so he, that's when he started writing his own his own works, and you know, he ended up getting married and had mm-hmm. had yeah. this child. And so uh, and even though there's a lot of uh, a lot of painful stuff that happened with that relationship that with because Matt Rizzo, his his, uh, his wife, when she finds out about the about the yeah. lie, she ends up leaving and yeah. takes the son with him, and then the mother dies, and then that's when that's when he suddenly returns to, right. to live with him. So there's all this pain, and yet um, it, it's, it's I, I love listening to Charlie now talk because he he talks when he talks about his father, just growing up with him, and just the amount of respect he has and. The, the connection they had because his father had to complete, you know, completely relied upon him. Mm-hmm. To, I mean, they both relied upon each other, which is yeah. so beautiful because mm-hmm. his father needed his son for you know these things because he was blind, and so yeah. his son would help out with these practical things. But also on an intimate level with his writing, that you know his father would be writing, uh, writing his work on a braille typewriter, and his father would read, uh, read his his own writing into a, a microphone mm-hmm. in a recording. And then send that to a secretary who would transcribe it and send it back to him. And then he would have his son, his you know, his you know, 10-year-old son, read this out loud back to Matt Rizzo so he could check to make yeah. sure that they got it right. And so there's this intimate connection that he yeah. ends up having with his son for the rest of his, his life. That And his son with his writing. I mean, because I mean, yes. spend your time. I mean that, these, these are scenes from the book right. as well. They are, mm. and, uh, and and that's actually the reason. The, uh, that's one of the main reasons this project has gotten to this point. Is I mean, it's, it's both because of Dave Carlson and how he he was so captured by the story and wanted to tell it, but be, but also because Charlie really wants his father's work to be recognized. I mean, I mean his his collected writings are now uh, are housed in the Newberry Library in Chicago, so so they are they are archived. But he he really wants it to be more available to people sure. and so this this graphic novel is kind of a first step of that of telling people who his father was and, and getting giving people a glimpse into this work that he did great um, well look this is great um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna wind this down here because I wanna okay. return because the book is coming out in the, in the fall uh, yeah September 19th and I and I wanna get uh, I'd love to come back and maybe do another interview yeah, with when David's wonderful. here and we'll get his per- perspective on this as well yeah. um, but uh, I mean, I'm gonna so go home and finish reading it <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and look I just want to thank you uh, this is, uh, and tell people to check this book out when it comes out and uh, thank you Landis for being on more to come oh, thank you so much